moving from the boat, watching Jesus pass by, to on the water, beholding the glory of his face. We will find new courage to embrace weakness and vulnerability, and will be witnesses to demonstrations of his power working through our lives. We are entering into a time of visitation where the hungry will be fed with the bread of fresh revelation. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So what the heck does that mean? <laughs> That's the question. So I'm going to start Exodus 33. I'll be in the Corinthians soon. Um, so you can stay there. You don't need to be here. But I'm going I'm to read about Moses' two encounters with God. Uh, he, he was the, the symbolic representa- representation of the old covenant to Israel. And he was the man that was basically the mediator of this old covenant. He was kind of a typological figure. He was, a, he, he was like Christ. He was a, he was a picture of, of Jesus um, to come. And uh, the first one's in Exodus 33. And this is when Moses is on the mountain. And he, he's interceding. He's saying, God, I want your presence to be with our people. If your presence isn't going to go with Israel, then I don't want to go anywhere because your presence is what makes us distinct. He's in this whole... This whole wrestling match with God, really. And then it ends after the Lord says, my presence is going to go with you. This is Exodus 33, verse 18. Um, The Lord just tells Moses that he knows him by name. And Moses says, Lord, please show me your glory. And God replies, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. But... You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you'll stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you into the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Pretty phenomenal. Uh, God beholds in his divinity, Moses beholds divinity on this mountain. He says, You can't see my face, but I'm going to put you in this cleft. I'm going to pass by. You're going to see me. And it said Moses would then come down and be shining uh, so brightly that Israel was afraid. And they put this veil over their eyes so that they couldn't look at him because they were afraid. Because it was so glorious because he'd seen God's behind. (laughs) That's how glorious God is. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Exodus 3 is probably even a more famous encounter that Moses has. It's his first real encounter with the Lord. It's the burning bush. And this is where Moses receives the revelation of the Lord's name. And the Lord uh, tells him out of the bush, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but he tells him, Moses says, well, who am I going to tell Israel? Who am I going to tell him? He sent me to come set you all free from Egypt. He says, I am that I am. And Moses receives the name of God. Um, These are really amazing encounters with the Lord, um, but I want them to mean something to us tonight. I want these to stir us in such a way that when we go, this matters. This means something concrete. Because yeah. I think we can read about these things mm. often and they become ethereal, for maybe lack of a better term. They become kind of like, wow, that's crazy. You saw God's behind. <laughs> you know, like God came in a burning bush. Like that's insane for you, but I don't really know. Like I don't know what that really means for me. Wow. Anybody relate with that? Yeah. 2 Corinthians, hopefully you're there, he kind of wants to make this hit home a little more. And Paul is now writing in the New Covenant, this is thousands of years later, but he's writing in context in reference to Moses and those encounters that Moses just had. And I'm going to start in verse 7 of chapter 3. 
And Paul says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, which is what happened when Moses was up there on the mountain, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we're very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that Israelites couldn't gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord's the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What is Paul saying here? There's two major shifts that are taking place in this passage. And Paul is sometimes a complicated communicator. He's very, very intellectual and very, very smart. Um, and he's, he's writing here, but there's two primary shifts that he's wanting us to get here. The first one is between Moses and Jesus. Because right? Moses is this typological picture of Christ, which basically means he was like a forerunner of a picture of, of Jesus in the Old Covenant. He was the mediator of the Old Covenant. So when he goes up and he says... He's going in an old covenant paradigm saying, God, I want to see your glory. God's saying, I'll let you see my glory, but I won't let you see my face. You can look at my behind, right? But he, so this is a picture of the old covenant. And Paul's now saying it's not Moses anymore because then he says Moses is this representation of Jesus and he has this veil on. Then he walks down to the people and they couldn't look at him because they were afraid. So Paul's basically saying, yeah, there was a lot of glory in Moses' encounter in the Old Covenant. Yeah, he saw God's behind, and it was so glorious. They still couldn't look at his face without a veil on. Yeah. But the first shift is it's not Moses anymore. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Moses was this imperfect picture of Jesus. Jesus is Jesus, the perfect, exact imprint of the nature of God. If you behold me, you have seen the Father, right? So that's like a huge glory upgrade. We're talking about the man who saw God's behind. Now we're talking about the man who is God. (laughs) Whoa, that's crazy. But then it gets crazier. He's like, the man who saw God's behind needed a veil. Jesus, with unveiled face, you can now look upon and be transformed Let's go. into his same image. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Whoa. That's good. This should be like some glory overload right there. It's like, whoa, you're hitting me. Both sides. Slap, 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 slap. Moses to Jesus, behind to imprint of his nature, and now there's no more veil. Come on. Praise God. Whoa. You guys need to be more excited. Yeah. This is crazy. It's good stuff. This is crazy. So now Jesus is with his disciples, right? And he is trying to, to, to preach this message with his life. Mm. And there's this night where he embodies it and he preaches it like the best sermon ever. We've been trying to figure it out forever, but it's compelling. And it's the story where Jesus comes walking on the water. 
right, in the storm. And Jesus is doing everything Jesus does with great intentionality. So when we read the Gospels, we're going to figure out, like, what is he trying to say? What is he doing here? And Jesus on this night, he is intentionally trying to reveal the divinity of who he is. He's not walking on the water as a carpenter. He's walking on the water as the creator God. Yeah, that's good. Wow. And it says this night in Mark 6, Story is Mark 6, 45 through 52. I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, After he's taken leave of them, he goes up on the mountain and he prays. When evening came, the boat was on the sea, and he alone was on the land. And he saw they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. Does that sound familiar? Moses, you can't see my face. I'm going to put you in the cup of the rock. I'm going to pass you by. The Greek is parakomai. Same word in Exodus 33 as in Mark 6. Jesus is saying, I am God. And I'm going to pass you by. Then they get afraid because it's dark and it's windy. And you can't really see when it's windy, dark, and a storm. They think it's a ghost. Jesus comes to him and he says, take heart, I am. Don't be afraid. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Moses, I am that I am. Direct, direct call to the divinity. Wow. Right? Crazy. They're having this encounter like Moses had. Story ends here in Mark 6, but in Matthew 14, there's another aspect of the story that Mark doesn't capture And that's that in this place of fear and terror, when they're crying out, who are you, who are you? And he says, take heart, I am. One man out of the 12 all of a sudden says something that completely shatters the old covenant paradigm. And Peter sitting there, probably trembling, making out a figure in the dark, on the water, in the storm, says, Lord, if it's you... Tell me to come out. What is he saying? Saying, God, please show me your glory. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to hide you in the cloth of the rock. He says, No, it's unveiled face now. Come on. Come. Wow. And a man gets on the sea in the storm and he walks. And he encounters the majesty of God, the creator, Jesus Christ, the incarnate savior of the world. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding Jesus, the imprint of his nature, are being transformed into his same image. Amen? Amen. Wow. That's not it. What's the message that Jesus is trying to make this night? Mm-hmm. There are no restrictions. There's no limitations. I'm not, you can see my face. You can come before me. You can encounter me in my glory. But unfortunately, like 11 of them stayed in the boat. 
Hmm. There's only one that got out on the water. There's only one man that got out on the water and in the darkness came and saw Jesus. Right? And he falls, he stumbled. <clears throat> Jesus said, Why did you doubt? I'm like, man, that's rough. He did at least get on the water. <laughs> But he did something that the other 11 didn't. The other 11 stayed confined. Hmm. And one man stepped out and saw something that changed him. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life in the boat. There's something innately within me that I want to behold his face. I literally could go back to my journals for probably eight years now, and that's the same theme that recurs every time I read them. Lord, I want to see your face. I want to see your face. I was made to see your face. I want to see your face. God, let me see your face. So why, why do some people stay in the boat, and why do some get out of the boat? So I don't think, if that's, I don't think it's one in 11 or one in 12. I don't think that's an odds. I don't think this is a mathematical equation. I think it's a picture that there were 12 disciples but there was this space, there was this freedom where one stepped into a place and 11 stayed in a comfortable place and didn't get to see God. They saw God pass by, but they didn't get to see hmm. Jesus in the same way that Peter did. So why? Why, why, do we, why do we stay in the boat? Why doesn't everybody get out of the boat? Why didn't all 12 of them jump out on the boat that night and say, God, I want to come see you too? Why didn't they follow? Why didn't they go? I think sometimes we stay in the boat because we don't know why we really are supposed to get out on the water. People say, oh, Peter got out on the water because Jesus was there and he wanted to go see Jesus. And I say that's true, but that's not completely true because Peter saw Jesus all the time. He lived with Jesus. He slept with Jesus. He did ministry with Jesus. He'd actually just seen Jesus like three hours earlier when they were feeding all the people, right? He'd seen Jesus a lot. He had seen Jesus. So it wasn't just to see Jesus. There was something different about this night. There was something more that he was wanting to see. He'd seen Jesus as the carpenter, but he hadn't seen Jesus as the creator, right? And the best way I can think of this, it's like, you know, people are like obsessed with lions. I love lions. I probably have five pictures of lions in my house because there's something about them that's really cool. But if you want to see the majesty of a lion, you don't go to the zoo, right? Like you can go and it's kind of cool, but you're kind of dissatisfied. Right? Because you're like, that thing's in a cage. And I'm not really scared right now. Because I'm like, right here. The only thing, I was at the San Diego Zoo once, and you know, they have like a picture that says like, don't get within the spray zone. And there's literally a picture of them pooping, and it projects like 15 feet. I was like, okay, that's a little scary. But not the type of fear that I would think when I'm in the majesty, majestic presence of the lion. Right? Like, if you want to encounter... A lion in its raw beauty and wildness, and you go, okay, I'm going to get a plane ticket to Africa, and I start trotting across the plains till one day I look to my right and boom, there's a lion. It's a little different than at the San Diego Zoo. My knees would be trembling, my heart would be racing, adrenaline would be bumping. There is something about seeing a lion in its natural habitat that is far different than seeing it in the zoo. Yeah. Wow. Right? And I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying here, but Jesus, when he came in his earthly ministry, was not Jesus, creator, God. He was on, he had a governor on. He turned his governor on. 
And he came, it says Philippians, he said he humbled himself, he emptied himself out, and he took on the form of a bondservant. He took on the form of a human being. Even though he was God, even though he was eternally God, he never stopped being God. He chose to operate and live this life like a human. And they'd seen Jesus kind of like at a zoo. They'd seen him heal, they'd seen him do stuff. But it wasn't Jesus, the wild, raw, beautiful king of the universe, who the creator, who all things through whom and in whom were made, right? Like there's something different from seeing Jesus when he's just a carpenter, from seeing him one day when we're going to see him on the throne with angels and cherubim worshiping and saying, holy, 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 there's only one found worthy and it's the lamb that was slain and we're going to be, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to be able to stand? Are we going to be able to speak? Are we going to be able to, to say anything? Am I going to have worship? Am I going to have silence? Am I going to be on my face? Am I going to be able to, we don't even know because he's majesty and he's glory and he's God and he is perfection, right? And he's beauty and he's wild and he's untamable. And we will never be able to comprehend the glory of who Jesus Christ is as the third person, the son of the Trinity, second person of the Trinity. Amen. Praise God. So Peter is not just wanting to see Jesus. Peter is wanting to behold the wild, raw beauty of God. And there's a difference. There's a big difference. Because when you see a lion in its natural habitat, there is a fear deep in your soul, right? That'd be on social media the next day. Oh, there's a lion. And I thought I was going to die. My whole life passed before me. I felt small. I felt weak. I felt very, very vulnerable because that thing could have taken my life. When Peter, the reason Peter was the only one that got out of the boat, I, I believe, is because he was the only one that had the courage to become that vulnerable. That I'm going to step on water and storm. We learn from other people in places in the Bible, you can't really swim. In the middle of a storm, with some type of ghost figure that he thinks is Jesus, but he's not totally sure but there's something in him that he walks and he's, he's trembling, right? And the disciples are watching this. He's, you know, you can't see. It's dark out. There's no lights. There's no flashlights. There's no North Face jackets and special lamps, right? Like, and lanterns. They don't have lanterns on the boat. I don't think they, <laughs> I don't think they did that back then. But even if they did, you know, this is a brutal storm and they're toiling. And all of a sudden they're watching one of their friends disappear towards this ghost-like figure on the water, and I'm sure he's trembling and shaking to the depths of his being, and I'm sure that he felt so small, uncomfortable, and more weak than probably human words can describe. And there's something about if you want to behold the power of God as creator, you're going to have to come face to face with your own weakness. You're going to feel like you're walking on water. You have to recognize I'm a human being who lives on a somewhat stable floating ball of magma that is rotating slowly around a nuclear explosion that is billions and billions of miles from any other thing. We don't even know if we're alone in the universe. In fact, 
We don't even know where we came from. Sarah, how can you know that if you read Genesis? You're a pastor. Yes, I've read Genesis. But there's like 50 interpretations of what that even means. We like got born to somebody who got born to somebody who got born to somebody and you just keep following it back. At some point, we just kind of lost track when the borns happened. And we're kind of like, yeah, well, we're here. That's all we really know. Don't know how we got here. Don't know really where we're going. Trying to figure out who I am. Trying to figure out purpose. Trying to figure out all these things. Then that's not vulnerable for you. Talk about just emotional vulnerability. We're made and wired for deep, intimate connection. And this life is full of ways to steal it from us. Who suffered the loss of a relationship? Who's experienced death of someone they loved? Who's gone through brokenness and loss and pain? We're so vulnerable. We are vulnerable in every single way. But we, especially in the West, have become in love with feeling competent and like we've got it all together and figured out. Mm. I'm in this boat. This boat's solid. It makes me go. It will float on water and it will get me out there. And we've become so convinced that we're comfortable. And we've missed the gift of vulnerability that God's given us. You say, why is it a gift? It's so uncomfortable. It makes me dependent for something. It makes me really dependent on one thing. My creator. Because when I behold my creator, somehow I find why I was created. Somehow I find why am I here. Somehow it doesn't really matter what person's interpretation of Genesis anymore because I found my creator. Somehow, when you get so uncomfortable, you just don't care that you're in the boat anymore. And when something comes walking by that just glistens that depth, that cry, you're ready to get out on the water and go see him. And I don't care if it makes me, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care how uncomfortable it makes me. I just want to see God in the wildness of who he is. I don't care. I don't care anymore. I'm not that comfortable in the boat anyway. I don't care. Right? I had a vision. This is subjective. So you can... Actually, before I go there. Courage. How I define courage is this. Sometimes we believe a myth that courage is like unwavering self-confidence. A person's so courageous. They just do these things and they have no fear. That's a myth that doesn't exist. Everyone has doubt. We can convince ourselves and lie through denial that I'm courageous because I don't feel scared. That's that's not human. That's Superman stuff. We like to make up Superman stuff because it makes us feel a little more secure. He is superhuman and bullets don't touch him and he can fly and he can crash through 90 buildings and it doesn't do anything to him. He is strength. No. That is not biblical strength. That is not biblical courage. Courage is you have the the guts to come face to face with your vulnerability, with the depths of your weakness, with the depths of how small we are. And then still believe him for the impossible and get your butt off that boat and go walking on water. That's courage. It's not comfortable. never is. It's not supposed to be. That's why it's courage. So I had a vision, this subjective revelation, so you can 
do what you want with this, but I feel like it very much pertains, kind of births into this message. But I had a vision that uh, I've been meditating on this Mark 6 passage. I've been meditating on Jesus walking on the water. And I was in prayer one day, and I saw this picture that uh, it was the boat, and I was in the boat, but I, I knew that it was like I was in the boat, but it was as if I was like my world. It was as if I was this church, as if I was symbolic, represent, representing this church. And I'm in this boat, and it's dark, and we're going across the sea, and the, the, you know, the wind and the waves and everything. And, and I was just gazing out into the water, like gazing out, like, where is Jesus? I'm waiting for him to pass by. Where is he? Like, where is he? And then all of a sudden, I saw him, like I saw him passing by. And I was so excited, I turned to everyone else in the boat to be like, there he is. And everybody else was on, like, social media. They were, like, on their iPhones, or, like, one person mm. was eating a bag of chips. Uh, someone else, like, it was, like, it was just, like, distractions. And I'm not, like, an anti-technology person, so please don't take that away from this. But, um, and as I was processing it, I was like, wow, this was distracted disciples. They were distracted. Mm. I was peering, gazing, like, where's Jesus? And everybody else was distracted. And then when everyone then saw Jesus and it was like, there he is, there he is, there he is. They were like on Facebook and then it was like, oh my gosh, you know? And it was like that shock of like, wow, oh my gosh, there he is. And everybody saw him. Everybody saw him pass by. But they were kind of like freaking out in pandemonium. But in my heart, what erupted in me was I want to come out on the water. It was like my heart was so prepared like, I've been waiting for the day that he was going to pass by. So that when I saw him, I wasn't surprised. My response was, call me out, out of this boat, yeah. so that I can come and see you, God. And that, that was the end of it. And I felt the Lord speaking to me uh, that there's distractions. That, that the devil wants to come and distract yeah. us. Okay. So that we're so consumed and distracted that we're not ready, that our hearts aren't prepared for the day he comes passing by. Because, you know, like the thing they talk about in sports all the time is that the person that prepares the most and does the little things, they're the ones that are going to show up in the big moment. You know why? Because they're ready for it. Because they've done it a thousand times. They were waiting for this moment. And then they stepped into it. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't by chance. They had prepared themselves for that moment. And sometimes we think that spirituality is just kind of like, oh, I drifted into this. And God did this. And it just happened. It's happy-go-lucky. It's so awesome. so fun. No. When you see God using a life, when you see God using a person and releasing himself through, I can guarantee you where no one else was looking, they were paying the price. Yeah. They were doing it. They were cultivating their heart. They were readying themselves. They were seeking him. They were doing the little things. They were listening. They were feasting on his word. They were pushing away distraction. They were ready in their hearts for God. I want the day that you walk by. I want that moment where I'm on the boat and I see you walking and I'm terrified and my heart's beating. I want to have the courage to get out the boat and walk to come see you because yeah. I'm not comfortable. Yeah. I'm not home in this world. I was made for something more. So I will sacrifice my personal comfort so that I can be positioned to come and see That's my so creator. Wow. Amen. Amen. I'm a mess up here. It's been messing me up all week. Yeah. 
James 5 says this. Let me turn there. I just feel like this is the word of the Lord for us today. James 5, 7. It says, be patient. Be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Patience. There's something about patience. Something about persevering. Something about being consistent. Being patient. Psalms 37 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. That word waiting, it's, it's the same, it's, it's a word that, that basically means like when a hunter is in a blind, waiting for Him. No distractions. You're silent. You're still. You've put yourself in the situation. And you're waiting yeah. to see that man pass by. Wow. Waiting patiently. He's not twiddling our thumbs. And sit back on the couch. It is undistracted devotion. Shoot. It is saying, no. The distractions. Mm. Because in faith, patiently, persistently, time and time again, I'm saying no. Because I'm saying yes to God. I'm saying yes to what I can't see. I'm in this boat, but I know He walks by these boats in storms. I I I I, I, I know I know this is just a field full of bushes, but I've heard that my God falls on bushes and they start burning sometimes. I know this just yeah. looks like any other mountain. But God comes and he passes by on mountains. And the day that he passes by, I'm not going to be content to just sit and watch him. I want the courage. I'm going to be ready to go and meet him. Oh, yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's what I want. That's what I want us to embody. Hmm. Um... If there's one thing I can encourage you in this season, this fasting season, is that we feast upon the Word. And specifically, I just, I just feel it's just heavy on my heart right now, maybe for myself, is that social media should not be given a place of higher precedence than the Word of God in yeah. life. If you are on social media more than you are in the Word, there's a problem. Why does this matter? Is my end. I know it's long. Why does this matter? Peter never got off the water. That's why it matters. So that's not true. I saw it. He stumbled. Jesus grabbed his hand and says, Quit doubting. You don't have any faith. Get back in the boat with me. Rough. No. He never got off the water. It's just a time passes and fast forward to the day of Pentecost. 
right? Jesus has died. Jesus has been resurrected. Jesus has now ascended. He said, wait and pray for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. And they are in Jerusalem, which is the same city that they just killed Jesus. So all the people that just killed Jesus are just chilling in Jerusalem. And Peter knows it. He probably knows it more than anybody because Peter was scared to death of him so much that he rejected Jesus three times, right? And then went away crying on the mountain. Bad day. Bad day. He stumbled again. He's in the same city. The Holy Spirit comes. 120 people. They're probably trying to be hidden in this city because they're not really popular. The Holy Spirit starts moving. They're like drunk in the Holy Spirit. People think they're drunk on wine. They're saying all kinds of crazy stuff, speaking in different languages. People are criticizing them already. All the people that are there that just crucified Jesus. If Peter sitting in the group, all of a sudden starts Yeah. And the Spirit would be poured out of the water. Wow. And he goes, I'm not Call it out, come on. And he gets out of the water, gets his butt off that boat. He starts preaching the gospel to the same people yeah. that he just denied Jesus in front of, and 3,000 people get converted because he yeah. never got off the water. Let's right? go. And a few days later, he's walking in the temple. A dude says, Hey, can I have some money? Mm. And Peter looks. He says, I don't have money, but what I do have, get up and walk. Oh, that's me. He's out on the water. He could sink right there. If that dude didn't get up and walk, he looks crazy. He saw Jesus passing by, and he wanted to meet his creator. Wow. So may we be people that don't get off the water. I don't want it to be a one-time experience. Yeah. Jesus had this cool experience where he walked on the water, and Peter got out, and so ready, walked on the water one night. That's not the story. The story is that's what the leader of the church, that's his DNA. That's what it looks like to lead. You take the initiative. You get out of the boat. You take the step. You take the risk. You stay out on the water with Jesus. Sink or swim. You just stay there. Mm -hmm. May we as a people have the courage to just say, God, I'm getting out of the boat and I'm not coming back in. Because the day Peter got off that boat and saw Jesus out there, the old Peter, something changed. Yeah. He never was the same. He already got back in that boat from time to time, and we will too. Real. But he wasn't the same. He yeah. came alive out there with Jesus, beholding the glory of his creator. Amen. Yeah. May we do the same thing. Thank you, Jesus. Here's the word. Here's the word. Thank word you. for 17. We, as a body, are moving from on the boat, watching Jesus pass by, to on the water, beholding the glory of his face. We will find new courage to embrace weakness and vulnerability and will be witnesses to demonstrations of his power working through our lives. We are entering into a time of visitation where the hungry will be fed with the bread of fresh revelation. Doing a good thing, and he is giving us, he does not just speak words to us, 
Everything he speaks to us, he then demonstrates he does something in us. And so tonight he's doing something in us tonight. Yeah. So God, I thank you, Jesus, that you are the one in whom all courage is found. I thank you that you are so attractive, Lord, that you you will even draw us to get out of boats to come and see you in your glory. I thank you that we get to serve a king that's that good, that that's beautiful, that's that beautiful. It's that wild, it's that raw and passionate and amazing. And Lord, may we be the people that don't stay on the boat, that don't stay comfortable, that don't stay in the confines, that don't stay in all the things that restrict and govern and limit us, God, because you tore the veil away so that we could come and see your face, God. And so, God, may we be a people who take you at your word, who take you at your promises, who get out the boat and stay on the water with us so that we see your glory move our life, so that we see you change our cities, so we see you change our families, and our businesses, and our government, and everything, God, simply may we be a people, brothers, who look at their weakness, and still come out chasing after you, in the glory of you, are. thank you, God, bless you, God, so let your spirit move, in Jesus' name, amen.